Welcome to Moving the Rock. Whether sales is all you do or only part of what you do, the strategies and tactics of success can often feel split between two realities. You can become someone you're not to earn the recognition and praise of people you don't respect, or you can try to figure it out on your own, knowing you'll underperform your potential. We're here to offer a third way. The idea that you can't have success without compromise is just wrong. You don't have to compromise to win in the long term. You can play the game in such a way that you win in the short term and the long term. Through our hard lessons learned, we can shift your way of thinking and create a better way. I'm Chris, founder of SightShift. And I'm James, founder of Florist Group. If you're tired of the status quo, we're here to help you move the rock on your career, your business, and your life. Welcome. Chris, great to be here with you and thank you for giving me the time ahead of time to totally change the topic for today's conversation. I love it. We get connected and we sync up and then it's like being in the kitchen and like, ooh, this looks really nice. Let's cook yeah. this. Yeah. Well, I love, and I love the dynamic nature of the shows and I think our listeners are going to love this. So what we were talking about um, in advance of the show was this idea of the history of the concept of identity fear. and. Um, I, I would love, I mean, it's meant so much to me and just my own personal development and the development of many of my clients. I would just like it if you could just give us a sense of the history of your observation around identity fear, what it means, what it can mean to the leaders listening today. And then what I'd like to do is I'd like to figure out how it's manifesting itself today in the context of the IFQ and the things that, and the data that you're actually collecting uh, and the things that you're learning about folks like us. Yeah. I'd love to. I'd love to. I mean, for me, all of this has come out of what was very personal, and now we're able to do it organizationally. But it was going from extreme wins in my 20s to extreme losses uh, and devastating loss, like not health of my family, thankfully, but going from not worrying about money very much to having to hustle for $10 and keep my family taken care of and stable. So really insane experience. And here's what I realized. There were insecurities, inconsistencies, a lack of resilience that was showing up that I couldn't really figure out. All I knew was this. I'd spent a decade reading every leadership book I could get my hands on, and it was not enough. The code kind of cracked open for me when I started realizing this was connected to my sense of self, identity. And this was a concept that I had never thought about before. I know that sounds crazy, but like I only conceived of reality as the roles you fulfill. Who is Chris? Dad, husband, leader, whatever, all the roles. And then the relationships that come out of that. When I got this like in my head and heart, and it was through a big loss that I've referred to, I think a couple of times on, on this show, it was like, okay, well, do I feel good about myself if I win? Do I feel bad about myself if I, law, if I lose? What if there's, there's me that's more than the roles I fulfill in the relationships. And so that's what we mean by identity. What most people think of when you hear the term identity is, you know, gender, sexuality, creed, different affiliations, tribal, whatever. And Maya Angelou has a great quote on this. I'm Black Samoan, African, I'm a woman. I'm all of these, but none of these is all of me. So, so identity or personhood, there's a you there, and it's bigger and more than roles you fulfill, relationships you're a part of, tribal affiliations. It's more than your personality. So when we start talking about this stuff, we have to use a lot of illustrations, and we do, to help bring it to surface. Um, and, and, you know, this is a simple one, but one day I was going in to get some water for the office, and I'd walked into a Kroger. No, Jimmy, I made a terrible mistake. 
I walked into a Kroger on Valentine's Day at about noon in between meetings. Now you can imagine the creativity that was in the massive throngs in the checkout lines. All dudes with two objects in their hands, flower and card. That was it. Like everybody. I mean, you had to look at it and laugh. But I go outside. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. Same thing. So I go outside and these two guys are going to the parking space at the same time. Okay. They're going to the parking space. They get there at the same time. One's revving his truck engine, right? Which is always how you solve a problem. Power up. Mm -hmm. And then one's shirking away, hiding. And so you see this kind of like playing out right there. Well, here's the thing. It's not really about the parking space. It's about who they are as people, how they think of themselves, how they experience themselves. And so at a conscious working reality, we're going to get to stuff that's below that. At a conscious working reality, the easiest place to start with growing awareness as a leader is zeroing in on insecurities. Every leader everywhere has some insecurities. They say, well, what? I got this leader that I know. They are just such an arrogant asshole. They are a total jerk. They are narcissistic. Well, here's the problem with that. I've never met a narcissist who is secure in who they are. Even that extreme arrogance, it's, it's a cover for the insecurity they feel. So insecurity can show up in these extreme forms. Yeah. And, but let's be really, let's be, I mean, I want to dig d- deeper here just for a moment. Mm-hmm. I know this might take us off track a bit, but um, you know, me as an individual, I'm going to, I'm going to label someone a narcissist, right? When maybe they are just supremely confident or yeah. I'm going to call someone arrogant when they're confident. So I think what's interesting is you know, let's let, if we just think about how we evaluate leaders and people around us, isn't isn't it isn't it less about the label and more about the why behind the label, right? So if someone's confident to your using your language, are they proving, trying to prove themselves because of some insecurity they're trying to compensate for? Or are they just in this moment supremely confident? And are they yeah. are they are they ready to lead us in a very clear and thoughtful and meaningful way. Yeah. Confidence, true confidence born out of a secure identity has space for the other. What looks like confidence, but is actually insecurity and, and narcissism has like multiple definable traits classically in the academic uh, work. Uh, So yeah, the terms used loosely in popular culture, but I do mean it strictly in the clinical terms of these defining marks of narcissism. Um, The person that looks confident, but is actually narcissistic doesn't have space for the other. They're consumed with their agenda. They will manipulate, run over whatever they're doing to to try to get their accomplished goals and objectives over and above the other person. Mm -hmm. So you can be, you can be, you can have a lot of clarity and it look like confidence, but you're really insecure. You can, you can be very confident and have a lot of clarity and you're secure in who you are. And so you have space for the other. Um, so really what it comes down to is who the individual is. Now, proving and hiding is kind of like the, the surface conscious level reality of how this shows up. But to use the term, the unknown unknown for most leaders um, 
very few people have ever had an experience where they've gotten a glimpse of the deepest insecurity they feel. The unknown unknown is connected to what we call identity fear. So you're trying to establish a sense of meaning, a shape to your person, an identity through what you do, your roles, or through your relationships. You either gravitate more towards you want people to like you, or you want them to think you're doing a good job. You tend to gravitate towards uh, really getting a sense of your identity from the approval of others or the accomplishment of objective achievements, whatever. And so once you start to get people aware of this, it is, it's mind-blowing because the theme will connect to why you like the books that you like, why you like the movies you like, why you like the songs you like. You know, everyone is so shaped by their identity fear, they don't even realize it. Once you peel it back, you can't unsee it. It's like, you know, in mindfulness, they talk about this idea that you're trying to get in the in between the space between thought and emotion. So your consciousness is kind of like pinging out these thoughts. And then your emotions are are coming out of those thoughts. Well, what people don't realize is this. The most powerful thing that can happen is for you to recognize how your identity fear actually shapes the thoughts that are happening. The thoughts that are happening for you are different than the thoughts that are happening for me. You know, if you look at somebody and go, man, their behavior doesn't make sense. I don't understand why they did that. I don't get that at all. Why are they acting like that? It's because there's a different movie playing in their head. And so, you know, I could interact with my child around an issue and be concerned about my child's doing or performance. My wife could interact with them and be more concerned about their safety. Now, that's just not just a mother-father thing. That is actually connected to what we call identity fears, how you make meaning, how you conceive of an identity. Um, so over and over and over, what we've done is like figured out how to lead people very quickly into this full awareness of jaw-dropping, oh my gosh, this is the identity fear that's at work in me. I see why now I get insecure. I see why now I try to show up too big to moments or I diminish too much and I pull back. Um, I'll pause there because I could keep going. Yeah, was, well, I think um, I think a natural next step for a lot of folks hearing this for the first time or um, you know, hearing your description, this description for the first time is, okay, great. So what is all this based on? Can you give us a sense of, how long you've been mm. playing with these observations, this idea, the kind of data that you have, experiential data yeah. that you have behind it. And then let's talk about how that's evolved uh, up until today. Yeah, awesome. So yeah, 14 years ago, um, really just through so much research and, and different resources that we credit, composite picture developed of, <gasps> whoa, if you can figure out how to help a leader get secure in who they are, identity, it flows into the clarity of their mission, and then they can attract and build healthy community or relationships. So a process was there. Like, And I just started studying leaders across the world, throughout history, and I can see this process over and over. It's like a hidden progression of how leaders grow and develop. So then what that helped me figure out was the battle is over identity, who you are. 
And as other, you know, research is done, you started to see some themes. And then I don't even remember how it first popped in my head, but I was like, really the best way to have the conversation is it's about an identity fear. So these nine identity fears uh, emerged. And as we did this work over the years, what's really cool is people could see it. It became intuitive. It transformed them. They would tell other people to the point that, uh, you know, people were asking, I want data on this. I want to measure it. You know, I only want to hire people that we can measure this and figure it out so we can help our leaders be led by people who know who they are, who are secure in their identity, who are working on their insecurities. And it's not about reaching any kind of standpoint of perfection because we all have the insecurities. It's an ongoing process. We're continually becoming more aware. No one graduates awareness. But you can get into a spot where you consistently know how to shift the insecurity into an insight. And so actually, I had a desire to make this a tool, uh, but one of the one of the organizations we had impacted, the guy at the time had a company, had a couple thousand employees. He goes, man, I want to be able to measure this. Will you build a tool? And I was like, dude, I've been wanting to build a tool. So he helped get it kicked off. And uh, we've been working this way for about 14 years, but actually started a year and a half ago building the tool, um, tested it on a couple hundred people, just you know, making sure the algorithm is tight and dialed in. Um, and for the last quarter now, I've started to roll it out with clients and companies and Envision, uh, equipping our coaches with it so that they can use this as a tool to help enhance the process and the clarity. Because once you figure out the identity fear, then we have a process that goes with that, that coaches them into being a world-class leader. Right, right, right. And there's there's really a lot of depth here that we can we can go into, but I'm what I'm really curious about um, are the observations that have come out of gathering the data and, uh, you know, learning more about leaders. So I guess while you've been using it for 14 years, um, what has the data been telling you that you maybe didn't know before? How's it helping your clients in a way that maybe you weren't able to help them before? Yeah. Well, for one thing, uh, and you mean by having the tool now the last year and a half or just as a whole? Yeah. Tool, yeah. Yeah. With having the tool, what this does to be able to measure it is uh, it actually helps us serve them better and get out of our own way. Here's what I mean. You tend to have a dominant identity fear through the story of your life. Understanding that like helps you see the story of who you are unfolding. And then you start cooperating with it rather than being your own worst enemy. What's crazy about the tool, though, is it lets us know the most pressing thing to work on, which might be the dominant identity fear that they have. Ah, or it might be the dominant identity fear they have right now. Uh, as we were developing the tool and testing it, and one of the things that was really profound for me, and even people that have been doing this work for me, were doing this work with me for like 10, 11 years, was seeing how we could take it ourselves and open up even greater insight than we had before by seeing this is the current struggle we're having right now. This is our greatest blind spot right now. This is where we could potentially self-sabotage the most. Because what the tool does is it shows you like what's the identity fear you're feeling the most right now? Where are you struggling the most with insecurity? And it might be, again, the lifelong one, or it might be a current in the moment one. But then it shows percentage breakdown. So you can get this like picture of where you might struggle in other ways. And you know, 
What does it mean for us to be able to sit with a team and say, this is like seven of the 12 people on this team have this identity fair. What does that mean for this culture? You know, it unlocks all kinds of insight around the ways that they're going to do things well, naturally, the things they're going to be blind to. How are things that are unique to this culture going to become embedded in an unhealthy way or in a healthy way? It's like this full 360 degree view mirror of exactly what's happening. And this is just, this stuff is so below conscious working reality. It's hard to see. It's like getting a food piece of food on your teeth at a restaurant and you just, you go in the mirror and you're like, oh my gosh, it's so clear now. When somebody gets their identity fear figured out and says it out loud, no one goes, no way. Oh my gosh. We all see it. We just can't see it for ourselves. Right. Right. And that's that level of awareness. And I think one of the things as a, as a coach, what I love about the tool is that it, it condenses that discovery process Right now, the tool we don't we don't just kind of treat the uh, result of the tool as gospel. We test it and evaluate it and apply it. But that getting to that depth of understanding in a couple hours is way more profound and way more impactful for an organization than the than the weeks it might have taken otherwise. Weeks or years? I mean, it is fair to say that we take people through a two-day experience that is the compressed experience or a 12-session experience that is the compressed experience of what I was putting together for four or five years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, you know, it's a lot for people. It, it is like watching the matrix and going, whoa, right. I'm seeing this completely different. And, and that's got to be phenomenal for um, ambitious leaders, people who want to do great things and don't want to kind of, for whatever reason, take a lot of time to get there. And uh, I do know that in my career, the conflict with clients is that, do I want coaching or do I want consulting, right? Coaching forces me to go through the, the discovery process, but also the benefit is that I go through the learning because I go through the yeah. struggle. So coaching is beneficial that way, but it takes more time. Consulting, just give me the answers. The problem is because I didn't create the answers, <laughs> I don't have the benefit of doing the learning. So there's always that trade-off, but this sounds like it can accelerate, um, you know, understanding where we are. And then the next obvious thing is, okay, great. If this is who we are today, if this is how I operate today, or this is how my organization operates today, I, ha- I can now baseline or benchmark. And it sounds like you're saying you can baseline or benchmark an organization with data created by an algorithm, and then you can create a vision and map the, those people to that vision, tracking their progress, not just experientially, hey, are we arguing less or are we getting along more? But also you could track that progress by tracking the data that you're collecting from the team. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where leaders of leaders get excited. So you know, let's start with the leader of the leader and then let's get to how their organization, the leader of leaders person that you're talking about, they want fast results. They want meaningful results. They want deep results. And when building all this out, you build out of who you are. I'm obsessed with minimum effective dose. What can I do that gets the most leverage? And um, 
it was like, okay, how do you get somebody to see the deepest, truest, most powerful things about themselves that are going to yield the most results if we never meet again? And, and we do it over and over and over again. So then leaders are transformed. Now, once you data ties it, then you're like, okay, I can take this to the organization. And, and yeah, we have stories like somebody was going to be let go and then their employee of the year the next year. And those are great stories and those are meaningful. And, and I love those stories. But when we can put in front of them this research that shows like, hey, a 30-year team is clustered around here. And this is where the identity fear shows up for them. The next time you communicate a change, if you don't speak like to this issue in a way that they feel brought along, you're going to completely miss the opportunity. You know, for a VP of sales to go in and 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 say to you know her team, hey, what what is going on here? At this stage in the process, we're losing these clients. Well, if we measure her sales team and we find out that four out of the seven team members have the identity fear of performance equals worth, then she's missing an opportunity to not go in the room and say, listen, I'm so glad you're here. If I didn't want you here, you wouldn't be here. I think you're awesome. A celebration of personhood. But we've got to fix this. And if we don't fix this, we're losing. Right. So That's a critique of performance. Yeah. So the mistake would have been to do what you norm, what a salesperson, sales leader would normally do is put more pressure on people who are already putting a, an enormous amount of pressure on themselves. And that creates that creates a level of stress that maybe can't be sustained or that actually debilitates the performance of the team. So instead of taking that traditional approach, we can be more thoughtful about how we approach the team, still with the objective of performance, but just getting there in a different way, in a more balanced, healthy way. Absolutely. Beautiful. You know, and what can make when when we go in and we speak somewhere uh, as as speakers, what can make us be really impactful is we know how to capture the room by a broad brush approach to capturing these identity fears and languaging to them. But much, much, much more effective to have the data viewpoint and look at it and go, this is exactly where they're at. I mean, you know, somebody out there listening right now leads a sales team. And of their sales team of five people, two of them have the identity fear that's connected to uh, what we call, you know, not believing you have what it takes, doubting you have what it takes. So that identity fear does not want to step in and risk new things. And so when you come into the meeting and you say, hey, we're going to try this, we want to experiment with this, that is the same terrifying feeling for them as helping dad fix the car and dad says to the kid hey go get the phillips head and they don't know which one is the phillips head right right i don't know if you've seen the memes about like the dads it's like this is so psychologically powerful to all of us there's this there's all kinds of memes about like yeah when your dad does that and then you're terrified is it the right screwdriver well as a dad i resent all those so you know (laughs) totally and 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 you know, you can do things with awareness or not. There's no perfect state of awareness. We never graduated, but increasing our awareness uh, is the name of the game. How can we build a baseline that we can continually increase it from? We accelerate awareness around identity fear. Yeah. And we've actually struck meaning. 
you and I have actually built a table. Um, if anybody wants to get their hands on it, hit us up. But we built a table that actually maps all the identity fears to the self-limiting beliefs or limiting beliefs that cause salespeople to make decisions and take actions that are detrimental to the ultimate goal, right? From pushing back on a client to, um, you know, to not taking on a leadership role in a complex sales cycle, you name it. And so I, and yeah. so I can just endorse it. I've seen the extent of this type of um, understanding, just giving a leader the understanding that this stuff exists. And then of course, having those assessments just takes that uh, effectiveness, the ability to be effective uh, in terms of running a team to a whole nother level. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you why, because it's everything you're saying. We can measure where they're going to self-sabotage. Right. But, but, but the thing that I want to emphasize here is, well, let's just say it this way, where they are self-sabotaging. The thing I want to emphasize is not only where they are, but where they will. We can actually future-proof their resiliency by helping them get blind spots removed on where they will be tested. Right. That, like, that's a great line. So if you ever launch a web page, that's got to be in the hero, right? Future the, the future proof your resiliency. Your resiliency. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's the promise of coaching is the promise of self-awareness. The promise of self-awareness is to future proof your resiliency, right? How do I make sure that I show up? in every situation to achieve the objectives that I have in mind and not either knowingly or unknowingly self-sabotaging. Yeah, you know, It's yeah. like having that voice on your shoulder that can guide you. Um, yeah. yeah. And for me, what's been so powerful is, you know, it's become so intuitive that, I mean, I was literally watching a TV show with my daughter last night and I don't actively do this work with them because they would, I mean, this is not cool. They would, inoculate towards it. But instead I do let the overflow of the passion in me when it's wise and strategic go into conversations. And so it's caught more than it's taught and they get it. So we're watching this show and you could see this leader, it's the walking dead, rewatching it with her. And that show is like an incredible leadership show, mm -hmm. but you could see where one of these leaders was getting pinged in his insecurity, thumped in it. The, the emotional quickness of the moment was hitting them right in the center of who they are. And you can see how they got attacked in that spot and then how they started to sabotage because of it. So we're watching TV, we're sitting on the couch and I just said to her, oh my gosh, can you see how in this moment that identity fear is getting surfaced? And she got it, she saw it. Now the problem with that is this, I can't be in all the rooms, nor should I be. It can't be based on my experience with all this, it has to get beyond. Where does it go to? It goes to the data. When we can measure it, any room can experience this. Any room can have this visibility. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, <laughs> totally, totally nerding out. But this is the life-changing insight that we all crave. When it unlocks, you start to, you start to get to that place that you go, okay, I can anticipate where I'm going to stumble, where I'm going to struggle, where I'm going to hurt. Well, I, I I love it, and I wanna I wanna address a uh, challenge that I see in myself, and that I see universally with leaders that I work with. Mm -hmm. And uh, admittedly, it's contextual, right? We're not 
awesome everywhere in life. And when we make a mistake, we're not, you know, prone to mistakes everywhere in our life, right? We're, we're at varying levels of beginner pro master, right? And throughout our life and throughout the things that we do. So I recognize that. So, but, but this is, this has been something that's on my, been on my mind for forever. You know, I, I experience myself and I also experience other leaders oftentimes being so aware of the change or a change that has to take place either with themselves or within their organization. They can articulate the change. They can rationally conceptualize it and even put it on paper and even fund it. But then when the moment comes to execute, um, hide or, or, um, do everything they can to delay or sabotage the actual execution of the change that they were on board with in the first place. What is it about us as human beings that causes that? Is this one type of identity fear? Is this all identity fears? Give us the, what have you learned about this? Yeah. Well, once you, once we know someone's identity fear, we can actually point out to them how they're going to relate to change because everybody relates to it according to the theme of who they are. Yes, there might be particular nuances. We're all unique humans. We all have unique experiences. We all have genetic codes with epigenetics where switches get turned on and on and off. So this combination of nature and nurture, but at a high level with crazy, freaky awareness, we can say to them, okay, if you have an identity fear, like you don't have what it takes, you're going to wait too long. You're going to miss opportunities. You're trying to get to some level of certainty with some change. Um, and so you miss that sweet spot, you know, where y- you want to wait till you get over a certain amount of percentage, uh, but you can wait so long to pull that trigger because you're trying to get over 80% certain and that opportunity is evaporated. Um, you know, regardless of politics, Colin Powell, I remember him saying something like he, he's trying to get over like 60, but under 70. He felt like for him, that was the real sweet spot of a percentage where he wanted to be before he went forward on change. I mean, that's incredible self-awareness, right? So what's happening for a lot of leaders is they've never really thought through this process. And, and once you can get the awareness and, and even data ties it, we can show you with our measurement, where are you likely to wait too long because you're going to look for some kind of validation. Right. Is it going to be in relationships? Is it going to be in new strategic initiatives? Because I might move boldly towards the strategic initiative, but avoid the relational conversation I need to have with somebody. I might have the relational conversation, but then avoid committing to it publicly in a meeting. Right. So we want to figure that out. They could have the identity fear that performance equals worth. That identity fear doesn't wait long enough right? They get that little gleam in their eye. They see the opportunity and they're like, wait a second, there's a chance this could pay off. So they're running to the change too fast. Um, These kind of leaders can really hurt organizations because it's too much to change too fast. Yeah. It's, it's really not about the actions, the decisions and actions It's about the why behind those decisions and actions. And, And it's that getting a, getting a control of that. I know it's helped me, right? My identity fear is wrapped around performance and, um, you know, I, that for me, that can manifest in perfectionism. Mm. It can manifest in, um, you know, over delivery. Um, and a lot of things that 
that, you know, that some of the things that I'll just never change, but at least when I'm doing it, <laughs> I'm aware of what I'm, of the trade-off that I'm making. And I'm also aware of the fact that I don't have to do this. Uh, what's cool about it though, is, is it's, it's, it's given me the power to modify my behavior and make those conscious decisions. When is it appropriate? When isn't appropriate? And it's also allowed me, this has been fabulous to communicate to team members. Here's how I'm going to behave. If you give this responsibility to me, here's what's going to happen. <laughs> mm -hmm. So do you want that level of detail? Do you want that level of performance? Do you want that? Um, if not, let me know and I'll make sure I adjust appropriately. But if you do, then, you know, by all means, you'll get it. It's a great, just a great way to level set and uh, make sure you're building the team and the expectations of the team that, uh, that are appropriate. Yeah. Uh, it, it, when you can joke about it on your team, you're free from it. It does not have a toxic effect on the environment. That's in worst case scenarios. In best case scenarios where people are trying to be healthy leaders, it still has a diminishing effect on the potency of the culture. With awareness, you're not going to have the toxic effect and you're not going to have the diminishing effect right. when you can joke about it. And what's interesting is you and I have similar identity fears, but the way we show up in the fixed part of our work is different. And so then it's going to look different. Like I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try to do too much too fast. Like I was saying. And so there's a, there's a launch that I've been ready for us to have as an organization for a few weeks now that going to take a couple more weeks to get the P's and Q's finished. And that would have driven me crazy before it would have made me tense. I would have been short. I would have pushed too much, whatever, or I would have gone ahead and launched it before it was ready. But instead it brings it brings a relaxed state. We get a better product. It's not that big of a difference, you know? And then I remember messaging one of our teammates on something uh, last week. And I was like, we need to wait on this. We need to push this back a few months. And if I'm doing that, we for sure need to, <laughs> because that's, that's not natural to how I show up when I'm insecure. Um, and I'm future-proofing my resiliency by being aware, Chris can cover up concerns and rush to a preferred future. Well, now I get to be my own best guide to myself. Yeah. I still get coaching. I still get outside guidance. I still learn, learn from you, whatever, but I shouldn't need another source. What's it look like for me to be my own best source? Right. It takes this awareness. I love it, man. We're, we're bumping up against time. So it's unfortunate we can keep going, but what if we um, pick this up again on another, another episode and just kind of went through all nine of those identity fears and maybe provide some examples for our listeners so they can um, maybe get a deeper sense of how, what this might mean for them. Yes. Are you kidding? Let's freaking do it. That's, that's the jam. This is awesome, man. Thanks for, uh, thanks for the insight, brother. Thank you for leading. Thanks for listening. If you've learned something or were inspired to try something new, please rate the podcast and share this episode with someone you know. If you'd like to learn more, visit and connect with me, James, at floristgroup.com, F-L-O-R-I-S-S group.com. And if you want to connect with me, Chris, check out SightShift, S-I-G-H-T, shift.com. Peace.